Amen. If you take your Bibles this evening, 1 Kings chapter number 18, 1 Kings chapter number 18 in the Old Testament, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and then really be several different uh, places throughout the Bible. For sake of time, I won't have us turn to all the passages. Um, I'll make mention of of them, and it'll make sense, I believe, uh, as you're seeing the message unfold this evening. I am this evening. I am really going to, with this message, uh, introduce a sermon series that I'm going to be doing this coming Wednesday. Um, this this coming Wednesday for probably six or seven weeks or so, get us through September and uh, a little bit into October on our Wednesday evening Bible study that takes place in the chapel. I'm going to talk to us and look at um, um, how to get out of of, of seasons. Um, we're going to look at depression or discouragement. We're going to look at sexual addictions. We're going to look at um, uh, maybe you feel like you're in a failed marriage and we're going to look at uh, those types of things and fear, anxiety, um, things that really we go through. And uh, I want us to come to the house of God and, and, and look into the word of God and find the help that we need. Every, every problem, every difficulty, every trial that we go through, you do realize the answer is in the word of God. God doesn't put us through anything that he doesn't give us help to work through. And he doesn't give us anything in our life to defeat us or destroy us. I want to speak to you tonight about um, dry seasons. Have you ever had a dry season in your life? Anybody? I asked Dick Dissup tonight. I said, Dick, have you ever had a dry season? And he said, yes. And I said, good. I, I'm going to preach this message. And if he would have said, no, I don't know what I would have done. I, I would have had to get somebody's notes. But dry seasons. Seasons that you, you, you just don't feel like you're where you used to be or want to be. They're just seasons of, of dryness. And often dry spells follow seasons of, of encouragement and, and great highs. It's, I, I, don't, I don't know why God does that. And we're going to look in the scripture this evening and introduce us to several several passages of, of Scripture throughout the Bible where it seems like our dry seasons come after a great high, a great success, a great victory. Like we're on that mountaintop, and, and it's there that we want to stay, and God says, no, no, you can't, you can't build your tent here. You can't stay here. <clears throat> the next step is a dry season. I believe dry seasons are are common in all believers' lives. And so if you're here this evening and you say, I'm in a dry season, I thought I was all by myself. I want you to know, how many of you have ever been in a dry season? You're in good company tonight. We've all been there. We've all been in a place where it just seems dry. First Kings chapter number 18, I preached this morning. I've been doing a study um, and I preached this morning. I've been doing a lot of reading and just and, and just in my own my own study. And, and um, uh, normally I will 
study to preach, and then I'll also at the same time do just my own devotion. I don't want to just study the Word of God because I have to get up and preach five times a week. I, I want to study to do that and also study for myself. And sometimes through both of those studies, God gives me uh, something for me many a time. Sometimes through those studies, God gives me messages um, to, to preach. And I've been studying through and, and just trying to understand Israel. And uh, as you know, on Sunday mornings, if you weren't here this morning, I encourage you to get uh, on our app or, or on Facebook or our YouTube channel, wherever those are. And I encourage you, especially if you're a parent, I encourage you to get that message this morning. Um, often I'll get people will respond to a message. This morning was one of those messages where a lot of people responded and not just parents. I had uh, an older man that's a great grandparent uh, email me this afternoon and said, I appreciate that message. I, I needed it. I needed to be woken up again and realize even at my age, I've got to guard my home. And, uh, and so that's not just for young people. And, and I said to Michelle this afternoon, this is one of the one of the probably one of the hardest things as a pastor is in a church like ours when we have uh, young families and we have grandparents and great grandparents and we have uh, just a, an age of people. It's difficult to preach messages, but I I want to preach messages on the home and maybe you're out of that age and your your uh, your children are older and you're raising grandparents. I, I would ask that you. Uh, allow me not feel slighted, especially on Sunday mornings when we have so many young families to preach messages. And you might say, boy, that, that doesn't affect me. I'm not at that place in life, but it does affect our church and it does affect um, Christian homes. And, and so I know you'll allow the, the grace to, to, to preach messages. It's kind of like coming in here in a salvation message and and the majority of everyone's here. You say, why would we preach a salvation message? Well, one is good to be reminded what Jesus Christ did. And uh, you never know uh, who's here that needs that message. We come to this passage of scripture. There was a king. Um, there was a king by the name of Ahab. God, God called Israel. If you, if you kind of want to make sense out of what is the Bible all about? The Bible is about in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man, and, and his purpose of creating man was to worship with him, but, but man fell, man sinned, and then the story went from creation to redemption, reconciliation. God desired to reconcile mankind, a fallen race, back to him. And so from the beginning of, of, of the fall, he promised a Messiah. He promised a Savior. And man would do all kinds of things um, on his own. They would they would make up religion. They would make up gods. They would they would do foolish things. When you look at it in hindsight, you think, why would they do that? Why why wouldn't they just trust the one true God, the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham and Isaac, the God of creation? Why why would we have a hard time uh, worshiping this one God, serving this one God? But since man's fall. Man has desired other gods. And God called through the man by the name of Abraham. He said to Abraham, I'm going to call you to, to out of your seed. I'm going to bless you and I'm going to prosper you. And great nation is going to come out of you. And, and through Abraham, his son Isaac, 
in Jacob, and Jacob had his 12 uh, uh, sons, and through his sons, the 12 tribes of Israel, and the nation of Israel is, is birth, and we find that in the Old Testament. And God, through that nation, wanted those, that nation to, to, to serve him and him only, and he, he gave laws and, and, and covenants with them, and and he gave them principles he wanted them to follow. And, and the whole goal was for this people to worship the one true God and, and the nations of the earth would see that God's power and his glory and his majesty. And, and they then would worship this God as well. But culture, since the beginning of time, has wanted to do the opposite from what God has said. And that's been Satan's plan is, is to get you to do the opposite from what God says is right. And we struggle with this. And I, I don't know why we do. We, we do. And all humans do. We, we struggle. And, and so God form, sets up this nation of Israel. And, and uh, we studied for several weeks the, the King Saul. And then God removes him. And he puts a man, David, into this, this kingdom. And he says, David, from your line, from your, from, from your seed, Christ is going to come. And you can read in the book of Matthew where you would find Christ all the way back to the line of David. And, and you would see that God fulfilled his covenant. And he always does. He always keeps his promise. Through the nation of Israel, we had kings, and some kings were good kings. And you would read through, if you read through the book of First Kings and Second Kings and Chronicles, you would read of the kings that were there in Israel. And, and the Bible would say about these kings, this man, this king did right in the sight of the Lord, or this one did evil in the sight of the Lord. And there came a king by the name of Ahab. In Ahab, uh, his father, when his father ruled, um, was not a, was not a good man, but but God was still worshipped in Israel. And in his father made a covenant with with another kingdom, and, and and Ahab married this woman by the name of Jezebel. Now, is there any Jezebels in this room? There's no Jezebels, is there? Jezebel just, 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 not, not nicknames. Some of your husbands, wives are hitting you. I'm not asking if you nickname her Jezebel. But normally that's not, I don't know if that's ever one of those names at the top, you know, the top one or two names that are picked by girls' names. Because that, that, that Jezebel in the Bible, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a queen. It's one that introduced Israel to, to other gods. Jezebel, her father was king and priest, and he was the priest of Baal. And, and that nation worshiped Baal and worshiped all kinds of gods. And, and as I told you this morning, she, she brought in, um, other gods. And then when she would bring in other gods and, and goddesses, uh, uh, she, the Bible tells us that she brought in her own priest. And we'll see that here in this chapter. She brought in her own priest to do the, to, to do the, the priestly duties, not of God, but of Baal. Hundreds she brought in. And they created groves and they created uh, temples. And in those places, the most vile, sinful acts were committed in these temples that were created for Baal. 
so much so what she introduced and Ahab allowed was introduced into the society there that was a pagan practice, but Israel started doing the same thing. They would begin to sacrifice their own children. Could you imagine a society come to that place? And I mentioned this morning, and and that's not necessarily the topic of my message, but what I'm describing, it's almost like I'm describing culture today. Describing leaders today. But we find in this passage, we find, so Ahab is a wicked king and Jezebel is his wife and she's a wicked queen. And they bring in, they bring in these other priests and set up these other groves and temples to worship false gods. And, and verse number 17, if you follow along with me in first Kings chapter number 18 and verse number 17, we'll pick up right here in the story. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah Ahab's a king. Elijah is the pre is the prophet. He's he's the one preaching against the sin that Israel's committing. And and Ahab said unto him, "Art thou he that troubleth Israel?" <laughs> How was he troubling Israel? He was telling Israel, "You're sinning. You're you're, you're violating God's law." And and he answered, "I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have spoken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me the, all of Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal. Look how many prophets this is in Israel. There's now four hundred and fifty." And the prophets of the groves, 400. There's, there's, there's 450 prophets and, 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 and then another 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. We, we find they're, they're at the king and the queen's table. These are being supported by the kings of Israel. They're being fed at Israel's king's table. This is how bad things have gotten. And Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, how long how, how ye between two opinions? Or what he's saying there is, when are you going to serve God right? You know what's right. And you're defiling yourself and you're serving Baal. You know God is the God of Abraham and Isaac, and he's the one that led us out of Egypt, and he's the one that delivered us from bondage and set us in this place. How long are you going to choose between two opinions? When are you going to get right with God is what he's, what he's saying to the people here. And if the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him, but choose. And the people answered him, not a word. And then said Elijah unto the people, I even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and, and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on a wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And so what he says is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have two altars, one to Baal, one to God. You 450 uh, prophets and priests, you, you, you cut up this sacrifice. Now don't put fire under it, and I'm going to cut up my sacrifice. And so now, now we've got God, and we've got Baal. There's an animal for a sacrifice that's laying on both of them. And ye, uh, and in verse number 24, and call ye on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord. 
And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. And so this is what he says. You, you call on God and, and, and whichever God is God is going to send fire down and consume that sacrifice. And people say, that sounds good. Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, choose you one bullock for yourself and dress it first. And for ye are many and call on the name of your gods, but put no fire under. And they took the bullock, which was given them, and they dressed it, called on the name of Baal from morning into evening and noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice nor any answer. And they, they leaped up on the altar that was made. And so they're trying everything they can for Baal to send fire. But guess what? Nothing. They've done this all day now, and now they're, they're, they're like leaping or dancing on this altar, hoping that Baal would hear them. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either is he talking or is he pursuing, or is he on a journey or preventure? He sleepeth and must be awakened. And so he's mocking Baal, and he's saying, is he asleep? Is he just not paying attention? Or maybe he went on a trip. <laughs> and... They cried out aloud and cut themselves after the manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. Now they're, they're mutilating themselves. And it came to pass when midday was passed and they prophesied into the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that there was neither voice nor any answer nor any regarded. And Elijah said unto all the people, come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of tri- uh, these tri- uh, tribes of the sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and unto whom the, the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar. And so he took this altar that used to be the altar they sacrificed to God on, but it was all broken down. There was no sacrifices being made to God. And he comes and he says, now, well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put this back together. And then we're going to build a trench around this altar. And, and he put wood in order. And, and so he put the wood underneath and cut the bullock in pieces and laid that bullock out. And, and then this is what Elijah did. He said, I want you to take three uh, or four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And so what he was doing is he kind of was like up in the ante here. He's like, uh, your God couldn't, couldn't bring fire down on a dry altar. I'm going to introduce you to my God. Matter of fact, before I do this, pour water on my altar. But not just the four barrels. He says this. He says, you know what? Um, go back and, and, and fill, up, fill up a second time in verse number 34. And they did it again. So now there's, now there's eight barrels of water on this altar. Now, we're, what happens when you put water on something that you try to light? You don't get fire. And then he said this, do it a third time. So at this time, now there's 12 barrels of water on the sacrifice. And he said, do it a second time and a third time. And and they did it. And the water ran uh, in verse number 35 about the wall altar. And he filled the trenches also with water. So everything was soaking wet. And Elijah said, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, in verse number 36, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things in thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. And 
this people may know that thou art the Lord God, that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell, verse number 38, and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Now, how many of you would say that must have been an exciting experience for Elijah? How many of you agree with that? I mean, I I belabored this point because I wanted you to see what happened here. I mean, here he is. God, would you show these 450 Ahab and Jezebel? Would you show them that you're God? And the Bible said fire fell. And, and, And it consumed this wet sacrifice and, and licked up the water that was in the trench. It dried up the water. Water's gone. Sacrifice was made. I don't know about you, but if I saw that, I would be like, I'm on, this is awesome. I'm, I'm serving a pretty great God. I don't know. I don't know what would discourage me after that. Have you, have you ever had a prayer request and you've prayed and God answered that prayer and you were just like, God is unbelievable. I mean, look what he does. And, and this is how chapter number 18 um, uh, is. And, and here God shows himself mighty. And, and all, of these, all of these prophets of Baal, they, they could not bring down fire. But God, in a moment, consumes this sacrifice. In Ahab, in verse number, chapter number 19, just flip over to chapter 19. Ahab, he told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And I can just imagine him going back and upset. You would never believe Jezebel, how Elijah embarrassed us. And he tells the story And Jezebel sent a messenger in verse number two unto Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. You know what she said? Elijah, you're a dead man. And Elijah arose and went for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested himself that he might die. Here we find Elijah going through one of the most incredible seasons that he's ever been in. He saw God work, and Jezebel said, You know what? You're a dead man. You would think, you would think, and, and we, we, in hindsight, could read the story and say, there's no way I'd run. I'd say to Jezebel, did you just see God? Is there any fire left, you know? And Jezebel wants to see you work. And, and instead of him standing and saying, my God is mighty and my God is powerful, didn't you just see what we did to your false prophets? Uh, and and but what authority, Jezebel, do you say you're going to take my life? Because the authority of Baal, there is none, and I prove that, but the authority of an almighty God, I prove to you that he's real and that he's powerful and that he answers prayer, and he could have stood upon that, but instead you find this man, this prophet in First Kings chapter 19, he goes from victory to defeat. Next time we find him here, he runs from Jezebel in fear. And he goes into a dry season. We find, and I won't take the time to go through this, we find Israel in the Bible 
in the book of Exodus, we find Israel is up against the Red Sea and they're hopeless and they don't know what to do. And God says, you're going to see my grace and my might. And God says, I want you to do this. I want you to, uh, 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 Moses, I want you to put that staff up and you're going to walk over on dry ground. And guess what Israel did? The, the sides of the Red Sea, the Red Sea parted and there were walls of water. And, and, and the miracle, the miracle was obviously that he parted the Red Sea. But I think the, the miracle was even doubly when they walked over on dry ground in four times in that passage of scripture, you'll find where God said they walked over on dry ground and, and they see God work and they, they get all through these, maybe some 2 million people get through this Red Sea and look and they see, they see um, Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh, he sees it and he goes out and when he gets in the middle of this Red Sea, the walls cave in and God delivers Israel from Pharaoh, the greatest military might of that day. You would think that Israel would say, we never have a problem from this point forward. All we got to do is ask God, but it took them three days. And if you were to study this story, you would find three days later, they're now in the desert and they are without water and there's no water. And the water they come to at Mara is bitter and they have nothing to drink. And they begin this dry season. They begin a season of God, where are you? David is another King David in the Bible, we know the story of King David. David was told of God that your kingdom shall be established forever. David was just a young, young boy watching his father's sheep. And, and, and God uh, sends Samuel, the priest, to him and anoints him. And, and, and he says this. He, he tells David that through David's seed, the Messiah is going to come. And, and, and we find then that God blesses David. And when David gets into the kingdom, uh, it said this of David, that, that, that uh, God has given him security security in his borders, everywhere he went was blessed, and, and Israel was at peace. And God gave the giant into his hand and gave Saul into his hand and, and brought peace to Israel and, and to all of its enemies, and there was no fighting. And, and, and David saw all that, and, and then David went from this to a place of, of dryness. The Bible says one night he fell into temptation, and for the next year or so, David is in a dry season and battling and is in a difficult place. There's a story of a man named Daniel. Daniel was one that fasted and prayed. He saw, he saw visions and he saw dreams and God used him to reveal the future. And in much of what we find in end times prophecy, we find out of the book of Daniel. But the same Daniel who was blessed by God and, and, and God exalted is the same man that goes through this season. He finds himself in a deep, dry season and ends up in this lion's den. What I'm saying to you, this is all through the Bible, you find people, you find men and women of God that God uses and there's great victories. And then they go through dry seasons. Paul is, is, is taken into the third heaven. The apostle Paul in the new Testament wrote much of the new Testament. He's taken into the third heaven and he sees what no other man has ever seen before. Think how thrilling that was. Imagine God opening up the, 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 the uh, sky and showing you future events and then there's a season, a dry season. The Bible tells us of the same man, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. And, and there's a thorn in his flesh and Satan, and Paul goes through seasons of discouragement. He's imprisoned, he's stoned, he's he goes through great victories. And then God puts him in a place of, of a desert 
dry. Even Jesus Christ himself, he goes uh, and begins his earthly ministry, goes to the Jordan River and he's baptized by John the Baptist. Think how thrilling that day was. Imagine being there on the day that, that Jesus is baptized and this is what God, there's a voice out of heaven that says, this is my beloved son, hear him. What an, a remarkable time for Jesus. And what happened after that? The very next event, you know what we find? Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And you know what we find? A dry season. A season of temptation. We, we find this over and over. We find just like Elijah, as we read in 1 Kings chapter number 18 and 19, he has a mountaintop experience. And it just seems like for many and us included, then we go into the season of dryness. And many of us experience that. I remember for my own self, I remember when I was pastoring in Georgia, our homecoming and, and, and uh, every year they had a homecoming there. And, and um, I remember the first, and the sun, the first homecoming, we promoted it. And boy, we, we had, we just, the place was packed out and it was the, we had 650 people there on that homecoming. Uh, and, and, and I remember leaving that afternoon. I was so excited during the day. And then I was so discouraged as I was leaving. And I thought to myself, I never forget. I'm walking down the, 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 the sidewalk to my car. And I thought, we'll never do this again. And I began in my mind to think about all the, the negatives. There wasn't enough parking and it was too crowded and it was too hot and it was this and it was that. And I remember what a great victory. And then immediately it seemed like just this dry season. I remember when I was pastoring there, we began to average and, and, and hit the attendance of 500 weekly and we would regularly hit that. And Boy, it was so exciting. I'd go home and I'd be so excited of that. And then I remember just seeming like right after that, again, I would begin to say, but we don't have parking and we're out of room. And, and I just remember going through that season of dryness, great victories. And all of us here today could think of great victories in our lives. And then we could also think of, then why am I so dry here? Why does it seem we can have such great victories and go through great dry spells as well. Sometimes we get to what seems like the highest place. We get to this, this, this pinnacle, we get to this place and God says to us, but you're not going to stay here. He doesn't allow us to stay at these, these high places. He, he's not going to let us settle here. It's not this higher level that he wants us to stay because God doesn't want you to ever get to the place in your life where that's as far as you've gone. And for many of us to get then to that next place that God wants us to get to, there's a valley that we have to go through. And it's a difficult one. And I would love if we could just go from high point to high point to high point, but God often uses these desert places, these dry places in our life. And I think of Peter and, 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 and the apostles, they're scared and, and they're hiding in fear. Jesus is the, this Messiah, this Jesus Christ that they've been following for these three years. He's dead now. He's gone. 
Matter of fact, he's, 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 he, his body's not even in the tomb anymore. And they remember he spoke about this, but, but between that event and where they saw him face to face in his resurrected body, they were there hiding in this upper room, the Bible says, and they were afraid of, of, of someone coming and taking them and what would happen next. And they're wondering what is going to happen to us next. And Jesus himself appears in the resurrected flesh. Imagine that day. That uh, uh, Thomas puts his his fingers on him and touches his hands and touches his side, and they see Jesus. He's not no longer in the grave, and he's no longer on the cross, but he's resurrected. And and just like he said he would do, he did. What a wonderful event that must have been! And then immediately, you know what you find with Peter? Peter says, "I'm going fishing," and the Bible says these disciples they followed Peter back to fishing in grief and, and sorrow because Jesus was gone again. And he said, I'm going to send the, the Holy spirit. And, but they didn't know the Holy spirit. They knew Jesus and they didn't know, understand what all that meant. And he said, greater things are going to, to happen. And, and they didn't get all that yet. They just knew this, that, that Jesus is gone. And they went through this dry season now, I said all that, and I hope you stayed with me. Have you ever been there in a dry season? Have you ever been dry? Have you ever been lukewarm? Just in this season of dryness, you feel empty. I want you to know this, that Everyone has been. I just, I just went through from Old Testament to New Testament and, and, and just, just quickly went through and told you of high places that people we find in the word of God. And then very next, they go through a dry season of, of sorrow and not sure why I'm in this. I want you to know this, that it's in those dry places that God works. In the book of Exodus, we find four different times God says this. In the same chapter, he says, I want you to go over on dry ground. One time would have been enough. Why would he say that four different times? Because he wanted the children of Israel to realize that going through that that dry ground is where he's going to work. It's in that dry ground is where Satan thinks that he's got the advantage. And, and it's where the enemy of God and the enemy of Israel, the Pharaoh, thought, oh, we've got them now. And it's the same thing in your life. It's in those places that are of dryness that the enemy thinks he's got you, he's going to get you. But I want you to know that it's in those dry seasons that God works best. It's in those dry seasons that we need Christ most. It's in those dry seasons that Christ begins to work in our lives. And we see great victories in those seasons of dryness in our life. Israel saw it. I want you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, if you would, please. The book of Isaiah. Because I want you to know here this evening that no matter where you're at, if you've been in a dry season or you will get into a dry season, you will be in one place or another. And if you've not experienced those dry seasons yet, you will, Christian. And when you do, I want you to know this, that there's hope, that God's not through with you. He's not through with your marriage. He's not through with your child rearing. He's not through with you in your job. He's not through with you in his calling. He still has a job for you to do. He's not given up on you because you're in a dry season. It's in those dry seasons that God reveals himself so great. 
I want you to see in Isaiah chapter number 41. Look with me in verse number 17. The Bible says this, When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst. I'd say this, they're dry, aren't they? Have you ever been to a place where you're so thirsty? A lot of times on a Sunday morning, when I'm done preaching that second service, boy, I will be so thirsty. My mouth is so dry that I feel like even when I drink water from the water fountain or a bottle of water, I feel like it, my mouth is just so dry, it doesn't even affect it. I'm so dry. And that's what he's saying here. There's, when the poor and needy seek water and there is none and their tongue faileth for thirst, he says this, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake him. You know what he's saying there? When you're in a season of dryness in your life, I've not forgotten you. When you think that this season is, is the final chapter, the final season, it's all over, he says this, no, no, my child, I will not forsake you. And this is what he does in those seasons of dryness. He says, I will open rivers in high places, in fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. What he says is, I will take those dry seasons in your life and I will fill them with water. I'll take those dry seasons where you know there's nothing you can do. There's, you know that you're stuck and you know you can't get out of this. And what I will do is I will show you that I am God. And he did that with Elijah. He said, Elijah, they, they, they poured, they, they, they poured water on this and, and there was no human that could start a fire on that 12 barrels of water to where it poured off of that sacrifice into this, into this, uh, uh, uh trench around it. There was no human that could possibly do this, but I want you to know that when there's 450 prophets that are, that are against you, when, when Jezebel and Ahab is against you, I want you to know that in your driest season, I am God, and I won't forsake you. And in those dry seasons, God did that to Israel. He said, I want you to go down on dry ground. And in that dry ground is where I'm going to destroy Pharaoh. In that dry ground is where those chariot wheels, they're going to be consumed with water. In that dry ground is where I'm going to take care of your enemy. It's on dry ground that God does his work. And no wonder then he leads us to dry places. Because when he does... We see him open up rivers. We see him open up fountains. He says in verse number 19, I will plant in the wilderness the cedar and the shitter tree and the myrtle and the oil tree. And I will set in the desert the fir tree and the pine and the box tree together. What he says is this, I'm going to make something beautiful out of something dry. And you know what God does in your dry season when God gets involved in it? He says, I'm going to make this most dry season something you'll never forget. And you'll know only I can do it. Listen to me, church. We need those seasons in our life. We need those seasons of dryness so that God can do his work so that it reminds us of his faithfulness. I I don't like dry seasons, but I like when God works. 
I don't like to go through sorrow, but I, I like when God turns that sorrow into rejoicing. He says in verse number 20, that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this. Why, why are we in the season of dryness? Why does God allow us to go into this place where we feel maybe hopeless and helpless? Why? Because God said, in that place, they may see and know and consider and understand that the hand of the Lord had done this. It's so that someone can look at your life and say, there is a God. When someone can evaluate what you're going through and see the hand of God bless you and and keep you and sustain you and hold you up, when someone would say, no, 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 I I think I'd fall apart if that was me. And God says, in that trial, I'll hold you up. I don't know. Sometimes when people call me, I I was on vacation and, and Scott texted me and uh, said, can you call me? And I thought, come on, Scott, the trash goes in the dumpster. You don't have to ask me that on vacation, you know? Scott works at the church. And I called Scott and it wasn't the news that I thought Scott was going to ask me. I thought he was going to ask me something about the facilities. And, and so I got to him as soon as I could. And he said, my, my sister died. Well, that's not what I thought he was going to say. If you don't know what to say, you begin to dry season. Tom, a member of our church, walked into my office on Friday and um, just w- w- saw Kim and said, can I see the pastor? And, and uh, I was between meetings. I said, come on in, Tom. And Tom, he walks in. He says, his wife's name is Ruth. He said, Ruth died this morning. I said, Ruth died this morning? No, I just saw her at church on Sunday. He said, no, she had a massive heart attack and died. He said she gets up every morning and reads her Bible and she had her Bible on her lap and opened to Matthew chapter number 11. And the last thing she saw here on this earth Friday was Matthew chapter 11. I sat with them out on these tables this afternoon after the second service and I, I don't know how. I don't know how exactly God's going to do it, but I do know this in that dry season, God is going to do something to show himself strong. It's his attribute. It's who he is. It's his character. Nothing in your life happens without God knowing and God allowing. And God then uses it to bring glory to himself. He said that in Isaiah. Isaiah said that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. Produce your cause, saith the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, saith the king of Jacob. Let them bring them forth and show us what shall happen. God does new things with dry ground. Mark that in your heart, please. God does new things with dry ground. 
It's things that he can't do on the mountaintop and on the victories. He's got to bring that dry season or life. And in that dry season, he says, I'm going to plant something and I'm going to do new things. And that's where God has some. And, and again, I just, by way of introduction, I want to tell you for the next six, six or so weeks on our Wednesday evening service, we're going to go through some things that people feel just stuck in. People feel like they're in that dry season. How do I get out of it? We're going to look at multiple things in the word of God, specific things. How do we get out of these things? Listen, sometimes it's not to get out. Sometimes it's to watch God work. And we want to get out of the dry season. Get me out of this season. It's, it's dry and, and I'm in a desert place and I don't want to be here. And, and God says, I'm not trying to get you out. I want you to let me in. And in that place, I plant new things. How many of you, you want growth in your life spiritually? I know I do. It takes dry ground being cultivated. And that's what God does. He's going to cultivate, work up that hard soil. And then he drops seeds into that soil and he waters it. And great cedars and great fir trees come up out of that dry ground. You'd never experience that part of God unless you went through a dry season. You think about that when you're dry season. And help you get through those things. Father, I pray you help us tonight as we introduce, Lord, for the next several weeks in our Bible study on Wednesdays, how to get out of this. Uh, being, being the place where we feel trapped and, and instead of feeling trapped, it's a place where we can accept who you are and accept your word and find help from your word. Lord, what thrilling it is to my life to know that there's no situation I ever face that I can't find the answer in your word. I just need to know where to find it. And so help us to learn, help us to grow. And Lord, maybe there's some here tonight, they're in that dry season and they've just come off of victory. They've just come off some, something great and, and they wonder, why am I here? Because God, you want to produce something new. Help us to to wait long enough for you to do it in patience and trusting you. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to stand together and let's sing this invitation. If you need to come to this altar this evening, you come and you pray this evening. In my life, Lord, be glorified. Be glorified in my life, Lord. Be glorified today and in my song, Lord. Be glorified, be glorified. In my song, Lord, be glorified today. In your church, Lord, be glorified.
glorified, be glorified in your church, Lord. Be glorified today and in our home, Lord, be glorified, be glorified in our home, Lord, be glorified. Amen. Let's sing that last verse again. If you'll put that up in my home, that goes along with our message from this morning. Uh, We want God to be glorified in our homes, don't we, this evening? Don't we, this evening? Amen. Amen. All right. I knew I'd get an amen out of you. Let's sing this out. Let's speed it up a little bit, and then we'll sing this out. Let's sing this as a prayer in the Lord uh, and ask him, be glorified in my home. That means in any situation you're in, you're going to give glory to him. He, he doesn't get glory through complaining. Amen. Uh, I'm not going to start another message. I'm just saying he doesn't, he doesn't get glory in complaining. So if you complain about your spouse and this and that, and all of the things, then God's not going to get glory through that. He gets glory when we give him glory and we praise him. I want you to look if how many of you are next to your spouse right now? I want you to look at them and say, I'm glad God gave you to me. Go ahead, tell them. Come on. Now, now look at them and tell them and really mean it this time. Huh? And, and, and conclude it with a little kiss. There, go ahead. Say, I'm glad God gave you to me. Smooch. There you go. Doesn't that feel better? I won't ask how many of you are fighting on the way in this evening. I hope that just... Now, wives, lean to your husband and say, take me for ice cream after church tonight. Go ahead. Tell him. I got you. Take me for dessert. Yeah. Now, husbands, look at your wives and say, yes, dear. Let's, let's glorify the Lord. Amen. Let's bring glory to him. Here we go. In our homes, Lord, be glorified, and then we'll be dismissed after we sing this verse. Amen. In our home, Lord, be glorified, be glorified. In our homes, Lord, be glorified today. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Amen. God bless you this week.